0: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh
0: yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming
1: in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49, perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to season six, episode 11 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody and I'm really pleased with all of the kind words you've shared with me in response to our recent update video. I'm genuinely looking forward to getting to know all of you, and I thank you for allowing me into your lives each week. If you ever want to chat about Horror Hill, or anything else that's dark and slimy, you know where to reach me. Now, with that said, let's get to what we're all here for. The horror. Today's story introduces us to Travis, whose childhood was far from ideal. As he tries to escape from the horror of this domestic nightmare, he starts seeing strange shadows and learns more than he ever wanted to about the corrupting nature of power. And what's that? Oh boy, I feel an ad break coming on. Everyone buckle up you're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Did I mention that they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, from author favorite P.D. Williams, I give you Wrath of Shadows. My name is Travis Burke, and you can believe me if you want to. I saw my first shadow person when I was ten years old. It terrified me then and it terrifies me now. It started one night at bedtime. I was lying in the dark, trying to ignore the battle sounds bleeding through the flimsy wall. The tension between my mom and George, her newest louse of a husband, was stifling. Their arguments didn't care if it was a school night or not, so I learned to focus on the quiet things. The swish of tree limbs outside my window, the occasional rain on the rooftop, the soft glow of my Avengers wall clock and the peaceful ticking of its second hand. As I was nodding off, something moved across the clock. The form was so black that it stood out from the darkness itself. It drifted through the shadows like a murky mist. I lay there, frozen and breathless, watching, listening. The vein in my temple pulsed with every heartbeat. I braced for an icy touch or the hissing of my name. Easing my arm from beneath the covers, I turned on the Captain America lamp on my nightstand. There was no lunging monster, no ghoul grasping. There was simply no one there. I checked the usual hiding places where all monsters dwell, under the bed, inside the closet. Still, I shivered. At age 10, ghosts and monsters were still a frightening possibility to me. I lay in bed with a lamp on until I couldn't stay awake. After a few hours of fitful sleep, the sun had risen when I woke up. The first dull moments of wakefulness temporarily erased the previous night's episode from my mind, but the lamp was still on, and I remembered why. Getting dressed that morning, I debated whether I should tell Mom about the dark object. She'd probably chalk it up to a bad dream and move on. Then there was the other part of the decision. I didn't want to add weight to the heavy emotional bundle she was already lugging around. The poor woman was working two part-time jobs and bowing before a -a three-pack-a-day habit. She was depressed and angry, and she didn't need any more problems. And besides, we already had a demon to deal with. So I kept it to myself. The next few nights were uneventful. Could have been the lights I kept on as a precaution, but I was starting not to think so. Maybe there'd been no specter in the first place. It was conceivable that it had all been a trick of my tired eyes. I was glad that I hadn't told mom. I felt a little embarrassed about the whole thing. I turned off the lights and closed my eyes. Curled up on my side, I listened to the clocks ticking, my breath keeping time with the steady beats. Soon, I felt the gentle tug of sleep. Noises came from inside my closet. Wire hangers tinkled, shoes tapped. My stomach was tight and my jaw trembled. The doorknob creaked as it turned. Slowly, the door dragged over the carpet. I sat up and looked at the closet. A chill ran through me like an electrical current as I watched four inky fingers curl out and grab hold of the outside of the door. Whatever was on the other side shot out and landed on my ceiling like a fly. It was directly over me. It resembled an adult human shadow. Suddenly, two white, beastly eyes sprang open and glared down at me. Horror seized me, constricting my lungs and preventing me from screaming. Though terrified, I couldn't look away from the creature. Soundlessly, it dropped from the ceiling and locked me in a cold embrace. A rush of blackness filled my head, and then I can't remember. The following morning, I was startled awake when Mom yelled at me to get ready for school. I'd been so worked up at bedtime that I'd forgotten to set my alarm clock. The first thing I noticed was that my pajamas were soaked in sweat. Then the hazy memory of the creature slithered through my mind its image sharpening with every wriggle. I searched the room for something out of place, my ceiling in particular. There was no sign that anything had been there, and I couldn't remember what had happened after I'd blacked out. It was like trying to make sense of a past dream. But there was something different about me. Something was off. I went through the morning routine like a robot. Somehow, I faked my way through the day and the couple of weeks that followed. Sleep was hard to come by, but when I was able to, it was with the ceiling light, my superhero lamp, and my old Scooby-Doo nightlight on. Soon, it was early January and Old Man Winter started throwing his weight around. Our small, drafty house was locked up tight to keep out the cold, so it always reeked of alcohol and nicotine. If that wasn't bad enough, the winter months brought out the worst in George and Mom. They were like two feral animals cooped up in a tiny cage. By now, Mom probably realized that marrying George had been a mistake, Some women marry men hoping to change them, but George did not subscribe to this plan.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that
1: He darn well didn't want to be bothered. Sometimes all it took to set him off was leaving my toys out. I can still feel his belt on my back. I recall times when Mom and I would have to run to the bathroom and lock the door during one of his drunken outbursts. We'd cower in the bathtub until he gave up and went to pass out in the living room. One evening after dinner, I was on my bed doing homework. The overhead light gave me a headache, so I turned it off and used the lamp. As I perused my history book, it felt like someone was staring at me. I jerked my head up. No one was there. I waited for a bit before returning to my textbook. A few minutes later, I saw movement out of the corner of my eye and when i turned to it i began trembling in place of the usual shadows of my room the figures of a man and woman were on my bedroom wall they stood facing each other their mouths moving a few seconds later the man slapped the woman when she tried to fight back The slaps became punches. Then the man choked her until she went limp. He maintained his grip on her for a while longer. When he finally let go, the woman's body dropped in a heap at his feet. Gradually, the figures morphed into the original shadows of my bed, my dresser, and me. My body was like a slab of ice. Was I hallucinating? Crazy? I was afraid I'd crossed over to a foreign, forbidden place from which I'd never return. An overwhelming wave of distress washed over me. Whom could I turn to? Not Mom, certainly not George. There was no one to save me. I was helpless and alone in a realm of dark thoughts, scared and isolated. But then, I'd always felt that way. I was an odd duck with few friends, a loser always on the outside looking in at kids who had a chance at something better. As I settled down and thought more about it, my fear gave way to curiosity. What were those shadows? Why hadn't they hurt me? And why were they communicating with me?" The answer came the next day. There were police cars and an ambulance in front of my house. From the sidewalk, I could see George sitting in the back of one of the cruisers. Flashing blue lights cast a pulsating glow on his pale, sweaty face. His empty eyes stared forward into nowhere. Our neighbor, Annie Miller, rushed up beside me and threw her arms around me as I stumbled toward my house. She was crying. "'Oh, sweetie,' she said. "'You don't want to go there. Just wait here with Annie for a bit.'" Standing there next to Mrs. Miller... I watched the scene unfold with everyone else on the block. After a while, two men in uniforms eased a stretcher through the front door. On top was a bulging black bag. My heart began pounding to the point of bursting. I started sobbing. No one needed to tell me who was in that bag. I knew it was my mother. George had killed her, it had it all taken place on my bedroom wall. Anguish pierced my soul like a white hot blade. The most important person in my life was gone. Memories of mom crowded my mind, the way she gushed over every crappy picture I drew in kindergarten pawning her jewelry so she could give me a decent Christmas. She was my world. Now, that world had ended. What was going to happen to me? Aunt Gertie and Uncle Harry didn't hesitate to take me in after Mom's murder. Aunt Gertie was Mom's older sister by two years. She and Uncle Harry had always done their best to help us out, there was a haven for us whenever we fled from george they had no children of their own and had always treated me as if i were theirs their unconditional love and kindness relieved some of the torment the emotions that pummeled me during that time left a permanent stain on my spirit first i missed my mother second i felt like a stupid coward for seeing the shadow people as scary monsters instead of what they were harbingers i could have saved my mom and warned her but i didn't understand last there was my overwhelming urge to kill that animal george rage devoured me Forgiveness, mercy, and empathy evaporated like dew under the sun. Over the next several weeks, I was subjected to police questioning, court testimony, and grief counseling. I was exhausted. Late one evening, I was lying in my new bed with the lamp on, unable to turn off my brain. Something stirred on one wall. After a long break, they were back. I was hesitant to look, but what if it was another message? My first thought was, Oh God, not Aunt Gertie and Uncle Harry. There was a lone shadow facing sideways. I could tell that it was George's silhouette by its size and shape. Standing behind bars... He took off his shirt and began tying one end to the top grid of one of the bars. The other he wrapped around his neck. He walked forward a few steps and then... fell backward. And, just as before, once the shadows completed the scene, my wall went blank again. I probably should have been petrified. Instead... I enjoyed a sublime sense of satisfaction and a peace I hadn't known since before George invaded our lives. I turned off the light and slept like a baby. The following day, we got the news of George's suicide. Uncle Harry said, That's too bad. Pass the pancakes. I was in awe of the shadows and their strange abilities grateful for the vengeance they'd exacted. It was as if they were mine and I was theirs, forever joined in thought and deed. I decided that I'd keep their existence and their specific purpose my special secret. The recent performance of the Terror troupe filled me with questions. Why had they chosen me? Had they sensed my pain, my anger, my fear? I'd wanted George to die, and he had. I wondered about the first shadow after it pulled me into itself. Had the experience given me special power? I needed some answers, but I knew I'd have to go to a dark place to find them. In the end, it wasn't that difficult. All I needed was a lab rat. For that... I chose Adam Wentz, the terror of Westland Elementary. Because he'd been kept behind, twice, Adam was bigger and older than the rest of us. He was meaner, too. The kids he slapped, shoved, and threatened were legion. Like me, he came from a broken home, the difference being that it had never occurred to me to blame others. Who knows what it was about me that attracted his hatred? I was small for my age, nerdy, and painfully shy, so he probably found me an easy target. Once, during recess, he punched me in my stomach so hard that I threw up. Of course, there were no teachers around. The only thing worse than the physical abuse was the delight he took in humiliating me. He'd called me Baby Boy. A nickname that caught on much too quickly. It was as if the other kids had figured that the best way to escape his notice was to join in. I hated going to school. I dreaded it. It always left me feeling small and weak and worthless. After another awful day at school, I returned home and ran straight to my room. Most times, I went there to cry and think of harming myself. However, that day was different. That day offered possibilities, answers. Laying on my bed, I closed my eyes and filled my thoughts with every cruel thing Adam had ever done to me. I dreamed about him. After a while, the effort tired me, and I slipped away into an easy sleep. I don't recall how long I was out, but the room began to darken when I woke up and Aunt Gertie called me down for supper. After devouring another of her amazing Swiss chicken casseroles, I watched TV until she and Uncle Harry told me to get ready for bed. When I got to my room, I put on my pajamas, climbed into bed, and waited. I was eager to see what kind of payback my defenders would unleash on Adam. God, how he deserved it. My arm was still sore from the previous day when he'd twisted it until I yelled, I'M A BABY BOY! I stared at my wall for a long time. When the shadows didn't appear, I figured the experiment had failed. I was disappointed. Who was I kidding? There were no special powers, certainly not for me. I reached over to turn off the light. An image of something reclining in a bathtub materialized on the wall. It was hard to identify, but it could only be Adam. There was a small, rectangular object at the foot of the tub. Adam's feet were tapping, and his head was bobbing. His foot nudged the object, and it tumbled into the water. His shadow flopped around for a while, then stopped and slumped until his head disappeared. The moving shadows melted into familiar ones. I was dumbfounded. Could it be true? Did I have the ability to mete out retribution? Did this mean that I would no longer be the victim, but the victor? Relief settled over me. And just as I'd done after George's execution, I turned off the lamp and went straight to sleep, smiling. The news of Adam's death passed through school the next day. Chatty teachers whispered innuendos about his dysfunctional family. An indifferent janitor removed Adam's personal effects from his locker. None of the students seemed upset. Some were likely relieved. As for me, I was exhilarated. Ten years old, and I had the power over life and death. It was as though I'd become a superhero. There was a new sheriff in town, and he was looking for justice. Over the next several years, I worked my magic on a few other people. A cheating girlfriend, decapitation, and another bully, broken neck. And the weird neighbor who hung around the playground, struck by a car. I was so drunk on power, I was staggering. I was also getting sloppy. One day, my college roommate, Paul, asked, Say, Travis, doesn't it creep you out that you knew all those people who died? Poor Paul. Rottweiler attack. I regretted that one. Paul was my friend, and I'd offered him up to the shadows for nothing other than convenience. Seeing Paul's shattered family at his funeral caused a seismic shift. It brought back all the brokenness I'd gone through after a selfish thug had taken away my heart and soul. I was ashamed. Convicted. It was time to stop. I'd taken more than my pound of flesh. I needed to move on before becoming a monster far worse than those I'd encountered growing up. The problem was that there were still other monsters roving around. Not long after I graduated, I began working as an administrative assistant for a major banking firm, which meant being nothing more than a glorified gopher. At the time, I was the assistant to Mr. Marcus T. Connor, an up-and-coming financial wizard and first-rate jerk. Marcus treated me like a stupid animal in constant need of a good swift kick. He even had a nickname for me. Monkey, It wasn't quite as bad as baby boy, but it hurt. Marcus took great delight in humiliating me in front of others. Sort of a, hey, look what I can do, power trip. Most of my co-workers felt bad for me, but just like those cowardly kids in grade school, some of them ragged me about it. It was common to find a banana lying on my desk. Marcus's bullying destroyed what little was left of my self-esteem. My stomach constantly churned with nerves. And the nightmares? Horrific. Finally, I pulled together enough courage to do something about it. But like so many of my plans, all my efforts to transfer to other departments failed. When Marcus caught wind of it, he waged a personal terror campaign against me making me clean up the coffee he'd accidentally spilled on his office's floor, or having me come in on weekends to change out copier ink. Life was miserable again. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit. One day, he summoned me to his office and chewed me out for not having filed a report on time, which I had. He swore at me and intimidated me just like Adam and George had done all those years ago. I felt their fists all over my body. Their terrible words squirmed through my brain like earwigs. A wave of old, familiar anxiety rose inside me like bile. My hands shook. My mouth was an arid pit. Never having been one for physical confrontation, I broke eye contact. My eye's vision moved about, to the left, to his right. On top of a credenza in the corner of the office were some photos of Marcus and his family on vacation. A beach, a ski lodge, a cruise ship. But what caught my eye was the young boy in the pictures he had such a sweet happy smile they all did as marcus raged on i smiled a bit myself i rambled around my apartment that night convincing myself that i was no longer a killer marcus was a despicable person but he had a family who loved him He had a child, for pity's sake. I wanted to surrender my pride to those feelings, but I'd come too far to go back to being less than nothing. I threw back several Jack and Cokes. The more I drank, the weaker my conscience became. Who did that creep think he was to screw with me? I controlled a shadow army, the agents of my wrath. I paced back and forth like a panther in a cage. Drunk and exhausted, I collapsed on the couch and fell asleep. The following morning, the alarm on my cell phone roused me. I rolled off the couch, crawled to the bathroom, managed a cold shower, and got dressed. I was so hungover that I barely made it to work. When I arrived, I found a yellow post-it that Marcus had attached to my PC monitor. Get yourself in my office five minutes ago. After a couple of slow, deep breaths, I walked over to his office and rapped on the door. Come in, he yelled. He was sitting on the front edge of his desk, glaring at me. Know why you're here? when I told him I didn't, he pounded his fist on the desk hard enough to make me jump. As it turned out, he was furious that I hadn't come in early enough to pick up his dry cleaning. He'd had an important meeting to attend and wanted to wear his power suit. The louder he got, the sicker I felt. I looked at the pictures of his son, his charmed grinning Son. His image haunted me. Once again, I was staring at another of the blessed few who got to enjoy a better life than I'd had or would ever have. Call it hopelessness or self pity, but at that moment I felt like a non person, a wasted opportunity to become someone valuable and respectable. After all this time, i was still a loser on the outside looking in always destined to be a doormat my face grew hot as cruel memories assaulted my mind shut up or i'll kill you and your stupid mother look it's baby boy clean up that coffee before it stains my carpet monkey I grabbed Marcus by his lapels, spun him around, and threw him over his desk. Adrenaline roared through my veins. I gritted my teeth so hard I thought they'd shatter. Then, for the first time in my life, I became the angry one who did the shoving. My coworker, Albert, working outside of Marcus's office, rushed in to see what was going on. Marcus clambered to his feet, This idiot just tried to kill me! Call security! I pushed past Albert and ran. I sat at home, waiting for my cell phone to ring, but neither Marcus, his lawyer, nor the police called. I thought about contacting some friends at the office and asking for intel. Bad idea? I didn't know. My nerves were making me squirrely and paranoid. I lay down on the couch and threw back more Jack and Coke to keep it together. By early evening, I was kicked back and watching trash TV. I'd become quite relaxed, filthy drunk. My mouth tasted stale. I squinted at the TV, trying to sharpen the images that flitted about like blurry moths. Then, The wall behind the TV became a canvas of shifting light. I thought I was seeing things. I wasn't. The figures were two men. Judging by the animated body language, one of them was upset. It didn't take long to recognize the shadows of Marcus and me. I looked on as they recreated the fight scene from earlier that day. Once it ended, the shadows returned to normal. Watching my shadow take on a life of its own that way gave me a cold chill. It was like looking at my ghost. I hadn't felt this kind of unease for quite some time. Why had they shown me the reenactment? It was all past now. As if someone were reading my thoughts, my cell phone rang. It was Albert the referee from the office smackdown. "'My God, Travis, I can't believe you're home,' he said. "'I thought they'd have you downtown for questioning by now.' It was hard to focus as I was two sheets to the wind. "'What are you saying, Albert?' My head was beginning to throb. I wanted to pass out. I wish that I had. "'It's Marcus,' he said. He's dead. They think he might have hit his head harder than anyone realized when you two were going at it. Like maybe his brain swelled up or something. He's dead, and they think it's a direct result of you assaulting him. That's all I could stand to hear. I hung up. I didn't make a move or think a thought for the longest time. When the police arrived and started pounding on my door, I couldn't get up to open it. Eventually, Mr. Inez, the building super, had to let the two detectives inside. Detectives Andrews and Marsh had likely dealt with more cooperative suspects than me. I was like a mannequin throughout the interrogation, arraignment, and trial. I mentioned a little something about supernatural beings to my sad excuse for a lawyer, but he dismissed it. It didn't help that my co-workers testified that I'd been miserable working for Marcus, that I despised him. But the worst part was watching Marcus's family in the gallery. His wife was glassy-eyed and expressionless, as if she had no more tears, no more heart. And his son, my God, that poor little boy. He looked like he'd been broken into a million tiny shards. I knew that look. I had the same one when they carried my mother away. I found no joy in Marcus's death. I failed to understand why the shadows hadn't alerted me to their violent prediction and the role I'd play in its execution. Eventually, it came to me. How arrogant of me to think I was the only one deserving of strength and mercy. I wonder if the kid was as scared as I was when I first witnessed the shadows. I'm sure he had no idea how to process the dreadful performance. By the time he could, it was already too late. I understand how he felt when he learned that I was the one who'd robbed him of his father. I know his guilt, his rage. Everything wrapped up just a few weeks ago. Marcus's death was a horrible accident, but the justice system doesn't always go out of its way to split hairs about homicide. I'm agonizing over how I'm supposed to get through the next five years in this cramped metal cage until I'm eligible for parole. As for the shadow figures, I'm awaiting a visit from them any time now. My first experience showed me how they deal with killers. A child will dream about me. Then, one evening, he'll detect movement on a wall The Dark Ones will perform a scene featuring a lone figure in a cell. Perhaps it'll stab itself in its dark throat with a handmade shiv, or fashion a noose from prison clothing. I wonder if I'll have a say in my suicide, or if I'll be helpless in bringing about my death sentence. It's hard to fall asleep here. There's no glowing Avengers clock hanging on these filthy walls. No second hand lulling me to sleep, carrying me far away from the barren terrain of my life. The only sounds in this human zoo are snores and whispers. When I plead with the angels for sleep on nights like this, I often look back to when I'd first searched for a monster under my bed and a ghost in my closet, but discovered the shadow instead. It terrified me then, and it terrifies me now. When my final scene concludes, I fear they will absorb my shadow, my soul, and count me among their own. Who knows, maybe I'll be coming to a wall near you. My name is Travis Burke and you can believe me if you want to. But if you do, you might want to turn on the lights. It's starting to get dark. You've been listening to Wrath of Shadows by P.D. Williams. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and I'll see you right here at this time next week for more terrifying tales, sinister stories, and frightening fables. All that good stuff. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as five dollars per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases. All of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username VikingGuitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you but it's up to you to let it in. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, finalization by Craig Groschek and S.K. Brown got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I do take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure that you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you will get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.